I literally can't think of anything. <laughs> you were silent there for a second. I was just like, all right, am I getting punked right away in the first 10 seconds of the recording? No, I have actually <laughs> nothing. Um, If you want a good time, go on YouTube, look up Thug Life Dog, click on the first video. <laughs> right, but first, make sure to finish listening to this episode of Under the Bridge. Yes, with this... Okay. Welcome to Under the Bridge, everybody. Or feel free to pause this video, go watch that video, come back and comment about how much you like the Thug Life Dog video that we just pointed you to. (laughs) I'm Cody, a.k.a. the Scarlet Troll. And I am Greg, a.k.a. Greg. Yeah, let's just get right into it. I didn't didn't find Hmm. any gaming news this week. It's been relatively quiet. Well, I mean, not relatively quiet. It's just not too much that we'd be willing to talk about. There were a couple of things that I guess I thought were kind of interesting. There's been new castings in the Gran Turismo movie. <laughs> really? Yes. Jimon Hansu. Are you I... Are you kidding me? <laughs> and Jerry Halliwell have been cast in the movie, according to an article on GT Planet. I saw it show up on my feed. I'm just like, wait, aren't you aren't a you big from deal? Guardians? <laughs> Not only is he from Guardians, he's the wizard in Shazam. <laughs> Man, they're getting some traction out of him. <laughs> I don't believe that. Yeah, no, but he's been cast in the movie. I, I, Again, I think it's one of those things where it hasn't been really stated what he's going to be in. And Jerry Halliwell is one of the Spice Girls. Like, like that's it. That's the only thing I really know, know about her. <laughs> Oh, I thought she was playing one of the Spice Girls in the Gran Turismo movie, and I had questions. That would be something. <laughs> Random Spice Girls cameo in the Gran Turismo movie. If you want to be my driver, you gotta get with my friends. <laughs> but yeah, those castings have happened, and I don't think it's worth talking about, but I do think it's kind of neat. Apparently, the new Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 has busted all previous sales records. It's made $10 billion dollars. In its first week of of release. And Helena Taylor's not seeing a single cent. (laughs) I don't know why she would, but I just felt like saying that. I was going to say, it's like, no, that's Bayonetta? That's the joke. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, I I don't think it's anything worth, like, really diving into about that newsline, but it's interesting, if nothing else. Yeah, and depressing. And depressing. And that's all I personally have. That your reaction to the Grand Turismo casting is better than I could have ever anticipated. So oh, thank you great. For that. I'm glad my stunned disbelief brought you joy. <laughs> to be honest, when I first saw the article, I'm just like, okay, who the fuck else are they going to get? Are they going to announce? Knowing my luck, it's like, oh, by the way, Margot Robbie's going to be in this. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, one of the grid girls at a race or something. <laughs> My god. But yeah, that's that's all I have on that front. Alright, I'm gonna move on to something that's a little less silly. <laughs> An update on Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Yes. Yes. Not yes. only is it getting a one-day theatrical release across hundreds of theaters on February 15th. Oh boy. But, the director, R- Rise, Riz, Riz Frank Waterfield, is planning a sequel and is planning a... Peter Pan-centric horror spinoff called Peter Pan Neverland Nightmare. Hell yes. 
<laughs> Please. I didn't know Peter Pan was in the public domain, to be completely honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah, yes, please. <laughs> what a horrible but night a... to have a curse. Mm. <laughs> but the Winnie Pooh movie's only getting like a one-day release? It's February 15th. I checked. That's a Wednesday. So movie night's gonna have to be canceled that night. Or at least I'm not showing up. Y'all can do whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably not showing up. If, especially if that's my only chance to see it. Huh. Right. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Love to watch a movie, but I have to go watch a movie. I, I gotta watch a horror Winnie the Pooh. I have to go watch cinema. <laughs> to be honest, I'm pretty sure we can convince everyone else to watch it with us. <laughs> I don't know about everybody. Fair. Most everybody. Yeah. In any case, I'm definitely going to see it. Oh, yes. And I eagerly await the sequel, where hopefully Tigger shows up. What is what is horror movie Tigger look like, I wonder? It's just... It's just a guy in normal clothes like Winnie the Pooh and Piglet, only he's wearing a Tony the Tiger mask. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Tony the Tiger isn't in public domain, so I don't know how well that would work out. It's parody. It's protected or something. Fair. I think. I don't know. What do I know? I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I'm certainly not a mathematician. Oh, no. N neither am I. Unlike Warner Brothers Discovery Chief David Zaslov... Oh boy, what did Zaslov zaz off this time? <laughs> Sorry, that was bad. Zaz that was really off. bad. That was really bad. I just popped in my head as I was talking. <laughs> Permission to change it so that when you make the raspberry noise out of your mouth, we call it a zazberry? <laughs> in any case, Warner Brothers Discovery recently had a Q3 earnings call. Oh boy. And during that time, he said, We're going to have a real focus on franchises. We haven't had a Superman movie in 13 years. We haven't had a Harry Potter movie in 15 years. Both of those statements are wrong. I say, Man of Steel, magical animal movies. I, I no, like see, straight up can't, can't Man remember of Steel their names right now. Man of Steel was 13 years ago. No, it wasn't. It was in 2013, which was nine years ago. And the last Harry Potter movie, even if you don't count Fantastic Beasts, Sans the Beasts, came out in 2011, which is 11 years ago. Granted, that's still a bit of a gap, but I hate to break it to you, Chief. Part of the reason why you haven't had a new Harry Potter movie, if you're only counting Harry Potter, is the franchise is kind of fucking done. Yeah, there's nothing to really pull from. I mean, I think there was... As far as I know, there was some weird play spin-off thing, but I don't know if that's even really canon. It's a direct sequel, it's called Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, and it was really fucking bad. Okay, so probably not the kind of thing you want to turn into a movie to begin with, then. Not unless you're an idiot, which means yes. <laughs> also, I do love him saying, he's like, we need to focus on the franchises. Didn't you cancel the finished Batgirl movie? <laughs> How's that for franchises? Yeah, that's, that doesn't exactly... In Invoke confidence. Granted, nothing this man has done since he's, like, taken over Invoke's confidence. And the worst part is, there's some stuff he's saying that makes sense, but it's still a case of you're still an absolute asshole, and your sense mm -hmm. of math is horribly askew. Like, mm. you're, you're keying into some ideas here, but you're taking exactly the wrong message. Right. Which is, he said, we learned what doesn't work, and this is what doesn't work for us based on everything that we've seen direct-to-streaming movies. 
so spending a billion dollars or collapsing a motion picture window into a streaming service. The movies that we launch in theater do significantly better, and launching a two-hour, 40-minute movie direct-to-streaming has done nothing for HBO Max in terms of viewership, retention, or love of the service. Good point. Which makes sense. That's an actually adequate point. Yes. You know what you do then with your $90 million movie? You put it in goddamn theaters. But that makes sense, though. That's that's the opposite of what they want. I don't know. This might be cynicism popping off at this point, but part of me just goes, it's like, okay, I know these people are like just swimming in money, but how much common sense does all that money take away? Because there's a certain point where I'm just like, y'all can't possibly... Spending your lifetime, literally your lifetimes, like getting to the point where you're at now, you guys cannot possibly be this stupid. All I can think of is... Back in the day, the furious, absolutely awful day, mm. when Marvel Studios reported to Marvel Comics, <laughs> and Ike Perlmutter was doing his damnedest to block movies based on Black Panther and Captain Marvel and what else have you, and his rationale was, well, you look at other superhero movies starring black leads or female leads, and historically they haven't done great. And it's just like, well, yeah, Ike, you have a point, but you know, all those movies were kind of fucking garbage. Also, when did he say that? Presumably like some point before 2018. Okay, I was going to say, um, Blade? <laughs> Blade kickstarted, and then Blade, you know, spiraled in a Blade trinity. Hmm. But even then, it's a case of, it was doing fine, and in fact, it kind of helped reinvigorate the genre after Batman... I almost said Batman v. Superman, and then I almost said Batman v. Robin. Batman and Robin. Mm. Ving each other. Over Poison Ivy. I, a bat credit card. <laughs> yep, indeed it was. <laughs> Even the first time I watched that movie, I don't remember what I was doing or how old I was, but when that scene pulled up, I'm like, that is... Such a bad idea. It's one of those things like that just completely kills suspension of disbelief because it's like someone has Batman's social security number. <laughs> Terrible. So, secret identity meaning what now? <laughs> Anyways, getting back to David Zaslav, there was another comment that skews correct, but also it just feels wrong saying it. Mm. And it's going to lead into another point. He also said, the entire library shouldn't be on HBO Max and paid for by HBO Max. We have an extraordinary library. Friends, Big Bang Theory, Two and a Half Men. There's 15 or 20 series that are loved and nourishing the audience on a regular basis. But then there's a huge number of series and movies that aren't being used at all. If none of it's being used, why aren't we putting it on an AVOD where it will be used? We looked at what people are watching on Pluto and Tubi. They're loving Rawhide and Bonanza. They're not watching old series like Dynasty on Max. There is a platform where people have an expectation of what they want to watch, and we've been able to get a real vision into what people are consuming, and ultimately that gives us a roadmap. So, you're not incorrect that if people aren't watching something, maybe you put it on a service where people will pay to watch it, and therefore it gets you money, but A, that still feels kind of gross, B, there are plenty of series that instead of doing that, you just wrote it off. For taxes. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, you're not incorrect, 
but it's it's the whole thing of actions speaking louder than words. It's yeah, like your right analysis now, is not incorrect, but your actions are speaking contrary to your analysis. Yeah, so it's like we we don't have any reason to like take your take what you say at face value. I don't believe a single goddamn thing this man says. Hmm. You know who we can trust, though. Hmm. Lionsgate. Not what I expected. <laughs> they also had an earnings call this week, and at that point, the studio CEO, John Felfimer, Feltimer? Felfimer. Felfimer. Felfizer. Pfizer. <laughs> Sorry. In any case, this man has said that they have been fielding proposals for a big video game based on the Keanu Reeves John Wick movies. <sighs> I would prefer if they didn't. I kind of feel like this is the opposite of like video games being turned into movies. In this case, it's like no, I don't think you could turn anything John Wick into into a video game and have it do it justice. One word. QTEs. My point stands. <laughs> also, that's an acronym, but well, three words. But my point still stands. <laughs> no, when you put it together, it's one word. Hmm. I think. Um, is scuba one word? Um, I mean, if we're talking about scuba diving, yes. Yeah, but scuba, like, if, if you say, uh, I'm gonna go have a scuba, <laughs> that's one word, yeah? <laughs> Moving on, <laughs> I, I mean, QTEs is the only thing that really would make sense, in all honesty, and and I just instantly hate that. I, I, I don't see there being a John Wick game that's good that also like separates itself enough from the movies to like not feel like it's trying to pull too much from the movies because that would be the other thing it's like if it's like if it's an interactive version of the movie i'm just gonna go put the movie in my xbox and watch it you know i guess you're correct yeah so i don't hate the idea but i'm not exactly like confident in it i suppose well in better news, the reason why I didn't put this in gaming news is because that was a small part of a larger earnings call, and it was also said that the Continental spin-off series, which is going to star Colin Woodell as a young, what's his name, Winston, that's the one, mm-hmm. gaining control over the Continental Hotel, is going to stream exclusively on Amazon Prime Video, and we also now know that the Ballerina spin-off starring Ana de Armas is set to begin production next week, which might mean this week. Oh, okay. That's very exciting. That, that one I'm definitely looking forward to. Part of me can't help be bugged. You know, on one hand, it's cool to see Anna de Armas not only doing more things, but being the lead in more things. But on the other hand, and the idea of it sounds really awesome, but on the other hand, part of me just can't help but think, you know, I can't really explain it, but it kind of stinks to a certain extent that it's just, that's based on a spinoff of an already very well-established IP. So, but regardless, I'm I am looking forward to it, like no doubt. Yeah, man, I did not get enough of Anadarmus being an awesome action hero in No Time to Die. Yeah, she. God, I. Ugh. No prime to release. I I would love for there to be a spinoff of her, like just being part of the CIA in the James Bond. No, universe. no, no James Bond spinoffs. Okay, the thing about James <laughs> Bond is that James Bond just goes on forever and ever and ever again. So you never have to do spinoffs. You just keep making those movies. And if you try to spin it out, that's when you're going to oversaturate, and then James Bond is going to collapse. 
and then we're not going to get him anymore, which might be a good thing, I don't know, but whatever. Point is, nah. Ballerina. The thing is, is that whenever you need a reset on James Bond, you do the genius thing, and for every incarnation of James Bond, you drop a Tomah Tomahawk missile on his head. Armageddon. Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> I did it this time. A <laughs> uh, little inside joke there for those in the know. Hope you have fun. Mm. <laughs> What's the next bit of news? <laughs> More good news, actually. Oh. Mm-hmm. The Sandman got renewed for season two. Good, that means it's doing well. So now I have an excuse to actually sit down and watch the rest of it. I think I got through four <laughs> episodes. Did you like it? Yeah, no, I like it. It's just, it's heavy, and I have the comic, so a lot of times I'll just read the comic because I can do that quicker than I can watch mm. the episode. But the episode is, the one I've seen is really good, and I stopped at the part with, what's his name, David Thewlis as Dr. Destiny, and... Mm. He's getting a car ride from a lady and talking about and slowly revealing himself to be a psychopath the whole time, but slowly growing more attached to her. And oh, it's so good because it was even funnier because I guess spoilers for the Sandman. I read the comic, and when he got picked up by a lady in the comic, she was relatively nice to him, and then he ended up shooting her anyway mm. because he's a psycho. But in this instance, he goes. He starts getting out of the car, and I'm like, oh, here it comes. He's going to kill her. He's going to kill her. And he goes, it's okay, I understand why you lied. People lie when they feel scared, when they feel like they need to protect themselves. So he hands he hands her a protective charm his mom gave him and goes, here you go, now nothing will ever hurt you again so you don't ever have to lie. What about you? Are, are you going to be okay? Yeah, I'm fine, I've got my stone back. And he's got, because he's got Dreams, Dreamstone, which has a huge chunk of his power or whatever. And I was just like, oh, you know what, that's actually... That's both a nice subversion of my expectations as somebody familiar with the source material, and it's pretty sweet. And then he shoots her. No, actually. <laughs> that's kind of what I would have expected. Anyway. Okay, well, that so sounds cool, though. Yeah, looking forward to that. Glad I can now take my time and watch Sandman. Of course, once season two rolls around, hopefully I will be in a position to actually watch it more frequently mm -hmm. and more expediently. Mm-hmm. In another bit of news of somebody not being a total fucking idiot. Oh boy. We have a very stunning insight from Ty West, the director okay. of X, Pearl, and the upcoming sequel to X, Maxine. Hmm. You have to find a way to eventize these movies. They don't have to cost $100 million to do that. <laughs> Which sounds obvious. And yet. <laughs> It's funny because um, I was actually kind of talking to a co-worker about that earlier today because I know one of the things that we've talked about that I became very aware of, especially doing this podcast, is how a movie comes out every week, at least one, and how what that means is that someone somewhere is every single week just being like, $10 million, $20 million, $50 million, $100 million? Yeah, whatever, dude. Just go for it. So Crazy! <laughs> at yeah, at a certain point, I was just like, okay, but seriously, like, this is a lot of money just proverbially being thrown away. So, there there has to be a certain point where someone just goes like, okay, no, this is actually stupid. Yeah, I mean, so, case in point, you look at the two X films you've gotten so far. Mm -hmm. They've made, I think, over $20 million total. And you know what their budget combined is? Two. Yeah. 
Oh, really? <laughs> around $2 million for those two movies. And they made nice. $20 million. Very good. And part of that is because he made them at the same time. Because he noted, if we'd made X and then tried later to make a prequel, it would have cost triple the amount. Because mm. that's what happens. Because then you have to either track down all the props, you have to touch some of them up, or you have to completely rebuild the sets. And if you want to do it right, that means basically having to painstakingly recreate the entire set as it was. So, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Shoot them back to back as long as you're doing it. Yeah, might as well use the resources that you have available. Exactly. So, yeah, that just stuck out to me. In a world of everybody throwing money at a bunch of movies and expecting to make triple, quadruple these obscene amounts of money they're pouring into these things back, it's just really yeah. nice to see somebody point out, no, you don't have to spend a lot of money on these things, you just have to make people feel like it's worth seeing. You have to make a big deal out of it. I think my favorite example of that thought process was a, is a movie called End of Watch. That was the Jake Gyllenhaal, Michael Pena, like, buddy cop drama movie. Okay. Yeah, so the thing about the movie is that half of it is shot in, like, a first-person-esque way. Because one of the setups for the movie's plot is that um, Jake Gyllenhaal's character is recording a day in his life as a police officer for one of his classes in college. So what that means is that he actually has like a camera that he takes with him everywhere and half of the movie is basically shot in that. And I think at one point it was said this method was not only very creative, but it also saved us a shit ton of money because now we're not having to pay like four cameras and for people to operate the cameras and like any of the extra stuff that comes with that. And alongside... The budget for the movie was never established. It was somewhere between like seven and fifteen movie million. The book, the movie made like roughly sixty million at the box office. Yeah, and I would definitely say that with it's a movie that's definitely so good and so well put together that that low budget, relatively low budget at least, doesn't stick out that much because like it's it's worth seeing regardless. Right. The main thing is in this world of increasing movies going to streaming, you gotta make sure that if you're putting a movie in theaters, you make it feel like it needs to be in theaters. And that doesn't always mean big action, big explosions, or what have you. But it does mean there has to be something. There has to be a hook. There's gotta be a... not a gimmick, but something that sets it apart. Mm -hmm. It's part of why rom-coms don't do as well anymore. Because what's, mm. there's, what's the incentive to go see most romantic comedies on the big screen and pay extra money to see it when you could just stay at home on the couch watching it with whoever you're banging because why else are you watching the wrong I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but not really, though. <laughs> no, occasionally there's there's a romantic comedy that will get me. Uh, fair. I mean, great. I just read rom-com manga. That's how I get by I can't remember <laughs> the last one that occurred to me. <laughs> I feel like I liked Crazy Stupid Love, but I also feel like I watched that in high school, and if I went back and watched it now, I'd probably hate it. I mean... Well, the most recent rom-com I watched was Bros. That's right, you saw that one. And I cannot remember the last time I saw a rom-com before that. <laughs> like, you know legitimately. The Lost City was okay, I think. Mm. I don't remember what I thought about that movie. <laughs> But at least it had enough going on with it where I thought to myself, yeah, I get why this released in theaters. Mm. I think. 
For all I know, this is completely contrary to my previous opinion. In fact, you know what? Just for the sake of it, go back and rewatch Sandra Bullock Week and other stuff, and then tell me in the comments whether I'm completely changing my tune or not, just because I think it'd be funny. Mm-hmm. See how I'm gently pushing for people to go back to previous content and look for yeah. links or discrepancies? <laughs> Please call us out on our bullshit, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Any engagement. <laughs> Good engagement. That's a lie, but at this point I'll take it. <laughs> oh man, that was sad. Moving on. <laughs> it's okay. What's the next? What's next? <laughs> Are you ready for Into the Wakabi Verse? Into the what verse? Into the Wakabi Verse. The fuck is that? Well, Daniel Kaluuya has joined the cast of Across the Spider Verse. Oh, what as? Spider Punk. What's Spider-Punk? <laughs> oh dear, I'm gonna have to pull that up, huh? Well, in mm. this instance, a homeless teenager who becomes a hero to the oppressed citizens of New York in his dimension. But, uh, let me show you. Interestingly, they also... Oh, that's actually canon to the comics, never mind. Huh, I was mm. gonna say, interesting connection they made, but it was always there. Uh, he's an alternate universe version of Hobie Brown, a.k.a. the Prowler. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay, so I was originally thinking that he's just, like, another alternate universe Spider-Man. I mean, he is, just not an alternate universe Peter Parker. Hmm, okay. In any case, here's Spider-Punk. Alright, I'm, I'm about it. Right? <laughs> I am 100% about it. Yeah, I love it. Hmm, that we're looks get- really cool. We're getting some wacky Spider-Mans. <laughs> Hopefully we don't get Spider's-Man. Spider's-Man. <laughs> yeah, no, he's... Oh, God. Oh, you're being for real. <laughs> yeah, no, that's real. That is... Okay. That is an alternate universe Spider-Man who is basically a entire colony of spiders in a person suit. Oh, fuck that. It's terrifying. That's horrible. And, of course, also not to be confused with Man-Spider. I'm not gonna get... I'm not gonna, like, even, like, ask about that right now. <laughs> well, that was just Peter Parker, but he was going through some shit. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Maybe he's not a bunch of spiders in a people suit. Maybe he's just a bunch of spiders in a Spider-Man suit. I might be confusing mm. him with, what was his name, the Thousand? Hmm. A long time ago, some bully of Peter's from high school ate the spider that gave him powers because he deduced his identity and figured that the same spider could give him powers, and instead it turned him into a, like, radioactive spider colony. Oh, sweet Jesus. Yeah, not too dissimilar from Spider-Man. Anyways. Basically basically a walking corpse. (laughs) Yeah, enough nightmare fuel for now. Hmm. Let's move on to a bunch of Agatha Coven of Chaos casting. Oh, boy. Try saying that five times fast. I probably couldn't even do it once. Hmm. So, obviously, we know Catherine Hahn is back as Agatha Harkness. That's no surprise, obviously. They've also cast Joe Locke. Of the Netflix teen series Heartstopper, which I haven't seen, but that's the only thing his filmography really mentions. Mm. We don't know what he's playing, but the general buzz around the water cooler is that he is playing Wiccan. Okay. That's one of Wanda's kids, the magic one. Oh. Yeah, Billy? Billy. Billy? Okay. Okay. Yeah, Tommy's Speed. Tommy's the one with super speed, who's called Speed. Real original. 
Oh, he's just called Speed. Yes, that is his name. All right. That is his superhero name. <laughs> Emma Caulfield Ford is expected to reprise her role of Dottie, the, you know, the bitchy neighbor. Right. Aubrey Plaza has been cast in what is believed to be a villainous role. I mean, I just love Aubrey Plaza, so whatever. Just give me anything of her, please. <laughs> and then a few more actresses have been cast whose work I'm not familiar with. Maybe someone in the comments will know and can tell us. Wink, wink. Mm. Ali on Maria Dizia. Dizia? Dizia. I don't... I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume it's Dizia. Mm-hmm. But what do I know? I'm bad with pronunciations on the best of days, and this is not that. <laughs> and also, Saturday Night Live alumna Sashir Zamata. <laughs> okay. And SNL casting is not what I expected. Nah. Oh my gosh. What if we just... What if we get, like, a weird knockoff of the Sanderson sisters? <laughs> I'd love that. <laughs> In any case, I am excited... Of all the weird spin-offs Marvel could be doing, I am excited for Agatha's. Mm -hmm. I'm honestly more excited for that one than I am for Echo, but hey, whatever. I, I mean, f fair, to be completely honest. I'm sure Echo will be fine. Mm. But this, ah, if the theme song of this is not some kind of remix of Agatha all along and it's failed as a concept, but <laughs> I'm still looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. And that's the news. So I guess it's trailer time. Alrighty. Should we talk about Chevy Cavalier? <laughs> uh, this I'm one sorry, does look... it's, it's Chevalier. Chevalier, and it does look pretty badass. Indeed. Actually, I meant to look that one up, because even me being like loving history and loving classical music, I have no idea what this is about, and I don't know who this gentleman is. Yeah, French Revolution's not really my time period. It is not. Let's see. Joseph Bologna? Bologna? I am absolutely Bolognay. getting that right. Bologna. I'm absolutely Probably. That I don't know. I'm just mm. going off of the fact that the sauce is called Bolognese. <laughs> For all I know, it's Bologna. Fair. It looks really interesting. Unfortunately, in a, from a historical context perspective, I'm you know, not really familiar with it. But it looks cool. It looks... It seems to be trying to... F teeter the fine line between trying to be contemporary as a biographical film but still having enough modern instances to like draw an audience in like the whole bit during the trailer where he goes hand with the violin and just kind of does the dazzle pose with the violin while staring at the guy and i'm just like all right i didn't know that i walked into freaking glee this feels uh <laughs> this feels about two degrees less contemporary than hamilton yeah but I like Hamilton, so that's fine. Yeah, I I like I like the trailer for this, so I am I'm definitely interested in it. Yeah, it loses me a little bit for the the untold true story bit, which yeah, right. I'm sure whatever. Hmm. That's an that's an easy way to lose points with me though, and I fully acknowledge it's it's a thing that I should be used to at this point. But I just I hate movies trying to present themselves as true stories because most of the time they are not. Yeah, no, that's fair. Or at least they heavily they heavily embellish for the sake of entertainment. They garnish the truth. Right. With about 50 pounds of pepper. <laughs> it's a lot of pepper. Indeed it is. <laughs> Still, 
The concept of the French Revolution fascinates me, and I'm interested in seeing another take on it. Oh, yeah. Plus, good music. I'm a sucker for good violin music. Yeah, or, or classical music in general. There's not enough representation of classical music in a general sense nowadays. Hmm. Indeed. Shit, I just realized I didn't actually watch the Lamborghini trailer. I forgot all about it. It's okay. I did. You're the car guy. Take it away. This looks boring. <laughs> oh, no. And it's one of those things where it's like, I'm watching this trailer and it's like, this shouldn't feel boring, but it kind of does. Like, it feels... <sighs> I don't know. So, unfortunately, another historical theme, and I'm kind of really guilty about this from being a, both a historical nut and a car person, the the history of Ferruccio Lamborghini, the gentleman who founded Lamborghini Tractors and, the, and eventually the car company, because Lamborghini did actually start life as a tractor company, an extremely successful tractor company. I'm pretty sure Lamborghini actually still makes tractors to this day. Some of them, I think they've put out at least a few models that have some styling cues from like their, their supercars. Unfortunately, I'm not very familiar with his personal life and how he lived. The, there is a bit in the movie, and this is actually how Lamborghini more or less got started. Because one of the scenes in there is for, um, Lamborghini confronting Enzo Ferrari about his cars. Specifically how the clutch in his vehicles like was terrible. The thing you have to know about Enzo Ferrari and the Ferrari car company at this point is that pretty much as beautiful and as timeless as those cars were, mechanically they were almost all dog shit. And the reason why was because Ferrari saw the car company as nothing more than a way to fund his race teams. So when it came to like Ferruccio Lamborghini being like, hey, this car kind of sucks. I think I could have a way to like, you know, make it better. And I think it was something along the lines of installing like a clutch from a tractor into one of Ferrari's cars. Ferrari basically told him to fuck off because he didn't know anything. And specifically, he said, you know, go back to your little tractors. Ooh. And there's. Yeah, and it's like there's nothing quite as invigorating as petty Italian revenge. <laughs> Hence the beginning of Lamborghini as a car company as we know it. As far as the trailer itself goes, it's... The tractor trailer? Shut the fuck up. No! <laughs> as far as the trailer itself goes, it's... I don't know. It's... it's it seems really generic... The way that certain scenes are shot, the way that like some of the scenes that are shown in the trailer are like portrayed and they're cut and whatnot, it just seems pretty generic because it kind of, it feel like, I just hit my computer, nice it feels like it kind of goes through the whole checklist of give the audience what the plot is, tell them why they need to root for this person, have some dramatic happenings, do a quick like montage of bad moments that you'll see in the movie without any context, and more or less and protagonist fighting against the boss in this case a street race or something or other between Enzo Ferrari in one of his cars and Ferruccio Lamborghini in a bright blue Lamborghini Countach which is really weird considering like a lot of the footage and whatever especially with some of the cars shown dates this movie to at least before 1965 and a lot in the scene where there's like the street race with the two cars that are present. It's like, okay, so this is at least 1988 at minimum, or something along those lines. I think the Countach existed from 75 to like 88 or something like that. Regardless, 
it's kind of one of those shockingly enough being a car nerd it really didn't grab me i hope that we get to see more about this movie later that makes it more interesting part of my brain does think that this trailer was put out when the news broke of adam driver being in an enzo ferrari movie as enzo ferrari (laughs) but i i hope that it's actually like a good movie with just a bad trailer hopefully I guess we'll find out, and maybe next week I'll have watched it and can give my thoughts on it. <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry about that. I completely forgot about it. It's completely fine, to be honest. This, Of all the things here, this is definitely the most me thing, <laughs> as far as new trailers this week. You know what definitely wasn't a me thing? Mm. Avatar, the why is this so damn long? I do not give a shit. <laughs> And that's amazing because the first trailer I thought was more interesting than the new trailer. <laughs> this one actually caught me a little bit more. Still not enough where I want to sit through a three hour and ten minute movie because I probably have better things to do in December. But mm-hmm. really, I have better things to do most months. But <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's the idea that it gave us a little more of the actual story, which I'm sure mm-hmm. is going to be less than gripping, but at least it's better than, oh, look at a bunch of pretty visuals, because, I don't know, for me at least... And granted, I haven't seen Avatar in theaters, so for all I know, maybe it is this religious life-changing experience that will completely sell me on James Cameron as an auteur who can do no wrong, but what... what... For me, mm. effects in a movie are like graphics in a video game. You want them to be decent, but if you're going to see a movie just for the visual effects... Eh? Go watch Fantasia? I mean, no, I get that, because it's like, it's the thing of like, yeah, the visual effects are a big part of it, but like how with video games, the main thing that you'll keep, that should ideally keep people coming back is the actual gameplay. The thing for like a movie should obviously be like, you know, gripping story and all that. And I'm sure that the movie does, will have that. I mean, God almighty, look at how well the first Avatar movie did, you know, for all that, all its success, it had to do something right. But I don't know. I just never cared. There's actually a scene in the trailer that actually caught my attention and not in a good way. There's a bit where I I don't know any of the characters' names, so I apologize in advance to every Avatar hardcore fan. Is it racist that I can't tell them apart? (laughs) I don't know about racist, but I would say you probably need your eyes checked, man. (laughs) Okay, go on. There's a scene where the dad, I think it's supposed to be the dad, is swimming with, like, one of his kids. and Oh, he's and, got multiple like, kids? I don't know. Huh. <laughs> I don't know anything about this, because I haven't seen any of the movies. But regardless, you're, like, swimming amongst, like, fish and ever, and it's very colorful. And then one of them but hits a leaf? No, but as... as it's, like, zooming in on his face, or at least whoever's face it is, the way he's moving... It kind of feels like it's stopping and starting like extremely frequently, like a stop motion movie. And I noticed that instantly. I'm just like, ooh, bad touch. Bad. (laughs) Bad editing. Bad editing. (laughs) It's just like, ugh, that's, that's not great. Granted, I have a thing for like noticing like really weird and ultimately nonsensical details. So that's probably just more of a me thing. True. But that, that, caught me that caught my attention very quickly yeah i don't know i guess if it gets good reviews maybe i'll go see it but it's gonna take really good reviews for me to decide 
yeah, I want to watch Avatar so I can be caught up so I can go spend another three hours watching Avatar 2. Mm. While they're already making Avatar 4. With no mention of 3. You guys keep talking about 4. Where's the freaking third movie? You haven't talked about 3. Apparently, <laughs> I think they're either shooting it or they they finished and it's in post. I don't remember. Mm. I just don't remember. Fair. The Eternal Daughter? This looks neat. It does. Yeah, especially if it's a combination of both A24 and the BBC. Plus Tilda Swinton, who's always great. Yeah, because Tilda Swinton. It's starring Tilda Swinton. And Tilda Swinton as Tilda Swinton's mom. That part actually kind of caught me a little bit. I was just like, wait. When I noticed Tilda Swinton was playing her mother, and I was just like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I know there was a quote, there was a review quote in the movie or something that said something, something along the lines of, you won't realize that the two characters share an actress. And all I could think was, I can tell. I can tell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tilda Swinton's great, but I can tell. It kind of reminds me of, uh, I can't, I can't remember the name of the movie, but there was this movie that came out and I want to say like 2011 or, or maybe like 2009, I can't remember, but it's about these two Irish mobsters that were twin brothers and it starred Tom Hardy and Tom Hardy played both of the brothers because they were twins. So from the clips I've seen of it, the way they did it was kind of neat but it was just kind of one of those deals where I'm like, no, I can... This is not as convincing as you think it is, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sufficiently spooky, though. Sufficiently spooky. And Tilda Swinton is, again, lovely to like watch her do things. So, or at least as far as acting goes. So, definitely has my attention quite a bit, even though I do not at all do horror movies. <laughs> it might be recency bias, but all I could think was, I'm getting Gregory Horror Show vibes. <laughs> Which, if you don't know what we're talking about, no, that's not a reference to me. That is the name of an actual video game slash anime. Yeah, go watch Unlimited Video Game Store Stream of Gregory Horror Show on Twitch. Please do. It's actually a really good time. I even spaz out for a second. Yeah, it was good. Uh <laughs> so yeah, looking forward to that one. Yeah, it, it looks cool. Which just leaves a new trailer for Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. I don't even know who's dead. Yeah, I don't know who's dead, and I don't... Obviously, they're not going to really give away or try to even hint at who's done it in the trailer. But it really is the fact that we see a scene of Daniel Craig with a tear, and then everyone surrounds him. I'm just like, oh, are they going to pull this shit? Oh, no, did Ben Wan do it? Yeah. Halle Berry! <laughs> God, I love Dan Daniel Craig's just like, absolutely horrendous overacted southern drawl it is the best <laughs> i would watch him do that forever yeah for real just i had to pause the trailer when he's in the middle of like eating something during the whole briefing and he just goes huh halle berry that's spicy i just like all right <laughs> uh i'm you're gonna have to give me a minute movie i'm sorry <laughs> that was so good <laughs> otherwise looking forward to it mm. dave bautista didn't steal it for me, but definitely stood out as, well, that's an Deranged. interesting take. Yeah, especially the whole thing of, like, just having a gun, on a, an, a, a bedazzled pistol on him at all times. It's just like, oh, sweet Jesus, I can already tell that Dave, um, Dave Bautista's character is going to be the person I hate the most. <laughs> Probably. Tell you who I'm not going to hate, Catherine Hahn. Hmm. 
that was supposed to lead into something, and then I forgot what it was. Okay. So yeah, looking forward to that. We're going to have to try and go see that the week that it's in at AMC. Mm-hmm. Oh shit, that reminds me, we still need to get Wakanda Forever tickets. Yes, we do. God damn it. <laughs> well, push come the shovel, I'm seeing it by myself. <clears throat> Every man for themselves. <laughs> Should we do this weekend's box office? Let's let's indeed. Alright, so let's answer that age-old question that started a few weeks ago. Did we see the highest-grossing domestic movie of this weekend? And the answer is yes, two weeks ago. <laughs> Again? It's still Black Adam. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, it actually took in $18.2 million domestically this weekend for a $137.1 million domestic total and $321.8 million worldwide. Again, that is against a $195 million budget, so it's getting close to actually making money. It's getting close. Mm. Okay. We'll have to see what happens from here with the rest of the world. Because Wakanda Forever is about to bury this thing. Yeah, no. So I think we're going to have to expect it to limp towards profitability from there. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's If it's, if it's going to make a profit, it's absolutely not going to be a big profit. Second place, the movie I wanted to see until this week beat all the enthusiasm to do anything out of me, One Piece Film Red, which took in $9.2 million domestically this weekend and in total, it is sitting at $141.5 million worldwide. Oh, excellent. Right? Anime movies have come so far. Indeed. I'm proud of it, and I hope <laughs> to see it at some point. Mm. Third place, I can't believe I'm going to fucking say this, Ticket to Paradise... <laughs> Again. I guess George Clooney and Julia Roberts are still a bigger box office draw than I thought. Mm. Yeah, it took in $8.5 million domestically this weekend for a $46.7 million domestic total and $137.5 million worldwide. That is against a $60 million budget, so it is starting to see some profit trickle in if you go by the double the production budget maxim. Mm-hmm. Good for it, I suppose. Fourth place, Smile, which took in $3.98 million domestically for a $99 million domestic total and $202.8 million worldwide. Again, $17 million budget. Oh, God, they are just swimming in dough. Whoever greenlit that movie deserves an award. Yeah, for real. Congratulations, you called it. <laughs> nice work not fucking up. In this industry, that's rare. Have a cookie. That... That is very difficult to do. <laughs> and in fifth place, Pray for the Devil. Oh, really? Yeah, $3.89 million domestically for a $13.6 million domestic total and $18.1 million worldwide. Again, no budget still, as far as I can tell. So, hmm. I feel like it's probably making some money, because I feel like this movie is cheaper than Smile. Yeah, it has to be. You never know, though. I could be wrong, especially when you consider that they had to about-face on marketing and change the names on all their shit. <laughs> Which is still so weird. What the fuck was that? Mm. I know I should be over it by now, but I'm not! <laughs> Tell me! Did you sail across the sun? <laughs> Did you make it to the Milky Way to see the lights all faded, and that heaven is overrated? <laughs> Anyways, enough quoting train lyrics. Okay. I was going to go see One Piece Film Red, but as I said, things change and weeks get difficult. However, I'm kind of glad that I didn't. For if I had, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to talk about what may be, without exaggeration, the best movie of 2022 so far. 
possibly at all, because this year is almost done. Mm-hmm. That is weird. The Al Yankovic story. A movie that I, they, that I find very funny about this. They, like, at one point, they, including, I'm pretty sure, Weird Al himself, had to actually go out of the way and clarify, guys, this is by absolutely no measure a biopic. This yeah. is, like, complete fiction. <laughs> it's a parody to end all parodies, and yet, yeah. everything is played so... I don't want to say everything is played straight because it's not. Not a single thing in this movie is played actually seriously. But the actors are all so earnest about it <laughs> that it feels like the movie is taking itself seriously. And I, uh, I'm i probably not even doing a spoiler section because to give away anything about this movie would be a crime against cinema. <laughs> <laughs> So what, TLDR, go watch it? <laughs> I mean, 100%, absolutely. Daniel mm. Radcliffe might just be one of the best actors. Nope, the best actor of his generation. And I don't just say that because he was good in this movie, but because, really, the man played Harry Potter and then went to break out of playing Harry Potter by just doing whatever the fuck he wants. I was going to say, I feel like a lot of the roles he's taken since then, especially with how fucking, like, weird and batshit a lot of his roles are, are him just, like, emotionally venting from being Harry Potter for most of his life. <laughs> and can I just say how amazing it is that none of the main child actors in that, I don't want to say none of the actors because I don't know, somebody might have, but it seems like none of the main actors involved in that series ended up going fucking crazy or anything. Yeah, it's it's a it's a rarity, to say the least. That's obscene and good mm. for all of them yes very much so. congratulations i admire and respect each and every one of you for coming out of this shit with your sanity intact well, well with some sanity intact probably not all of them. with it. enough sanity <laughs> intact that it seems like your sanity is intact yeah to function as as human beings <laughs> let's see what else can i say about this movie that isn't really a spoiler just Every time that Daniel Radcliffe is talking and then he starts singing and it's clearly just Weird Al doing it, it's hilarious. <laughs> is it a thing where he's talking, transitions in the song, but Daniel Craigli Craig's- uh, Fuck. Daniel Cradliff. <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe's voice ends and Weird Al takes over. Every time he sings, it's Weird Al. That's hilarious. Yeah. No, it's great. And it- the whole thing is just the most cliched send-up of every musical biopic you've ever seen. Which is a lot of them now. Of just trying to give him this tortured past of where he came from and what a struggle it was. And just, oh, it's so, it's so delightful. There's at least two lines in it, and I'm not going to spoil either of them, but I have been repeating them to myself and giggling like an idiot. All day. So what I'm hearing is that this is to weird out as far as like what it is, what happens and its meaning and, and how it's executed. This is to weird out what unbearable weight was to, to, uh, fuck. Nicholas God Cage. Nicholas Cage. Thank you. Yes. It's just like the music. This is like the musical version of unbearable weight. <laughs> Indeed. Hmm. Oh, there's such a, there's such a cavalcade of not cameos, but of, acting cameos mm. where 
it's not the people themselves, but oh, I'm I, 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 I really not gonna spoil it, but oh, it's so good. Evan Rachel Wood as Madonna kills it. <laughs> Just, oh. Watch it. If you have a Roku, go watch it. Because it's free. Yeah, as, it's on the Roku channel and it's free. As I say, that's unfortunately the big limiter for me is that I can't watch because I don't have a Roku device. Well, uh, from the man himself, per a tweet, somebody asked, how do I watch in Australia? And Weird Al Yankovic replied, Roku is working on it. In the meantime, there's VPN, very probably no way to watch it legally. I'm sure you have a torrent of other questions, but I have to move along. Sorry. <laughs> uh, what a G. What a G. What an absolutely tremendous man. Mm. Who nothing remarkable happened to, so they had to fabricate this story. <sighs> I would not have expected that one of my favorite movies of this year would include, based on a funnier die skit, <laughs> like just that is something just what what is this <laughs> huh it's really good it's really funny it's just so over the top but so well put together and how unbelievably cheesy it is and i'm rambling now so i'm just gonna cut it short and i'm just gonna say go see weird the Yankovic story because words do not do it justice hell yeah and I think that about wraps this up. Okay. Well, well, for your bit. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, you saw Till. Yeah, I did I'm see sorry. Till. I forgot. No, all you're about good. That. <laughs> yeah, tell me of Till. So I saw Till. Till. And which was kind of a frustrating endeavor in a sense because there was a lot of confusion as to when it came out, and it turns out it it actually like came out to theaters officially last weekend. However, last weekend, I was stuck working and doing Halloween shenanigans, at which point my body said, yeah, fuck movies, prioritize sleep. <laughs> Legit. But yeah, so this week, and especially with nothing else really coming out that I personally want to see, I saw Till, that is T-I-L-L, and it Till is what? the story- Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Till is the story- of the very sad and absolutely god-awful lynching of Emmett Till, a 14-year-old black boy who was murdered in Mississippi while visiting family in 1955, and the story of his mother Mamie Till, who traveled the country to fight for her son and became one of the most badass women in American contemporary American history. So, this movie's great. It's really good. It is. It's really hard to watch in a lot of places. It is extremely frustrating. Frustrating in a sense of like the subject matter and what happens. I imagine. Yeah, it is. It's very poignant. It's one of those things where it's a historical movie based on a real historical event but still does enough good things in it to be, like, a competent, well-put-together movie. Okay. If you're curious about seeing it, definitely see it. Just know it's not going to be an easy watch. It really is not an easy watch, even for me, like, you know, being a history nerd and especially being black and American, caring a lot about the history of me and my people in this country. There's definitely a lot of times where I was just like, 
Uh, <laughs> to put it lightly, I spent a lot of the movie genuinely furious as well, again, given the subject matter. So to kind of give a little bit of background, I suppose, if you don't know the, the general story of Emmett Till... Spoilers story for this short- historical event. Yeah... I'm not going to say this is a spoiler section. There is one, there's like a couple bits that are a little spoilery, but I'll get into that later. But Yeah, who I don't cares? It's a historical event movie. Yeah, this is an actual historical event. Read on it. This is actually something that should be taught in history classes across the country, no matter what pansy-ass motherfuckers are, are around who don't want to let us learn about really bad shit that has happened in this country. Woo! Because, because we're fucking humans. <laughs> I don't know what that high-pitched noise was from you just now. (laughs) That was was me saying woo. Yeah. The long and short of when it comes to the story of Emmett Till, Emmett Till grew up in Chicago with his mother and his grandmother, who I did not know this until after I left the theater and looked more into it. Emmett Till's grandmother, so Mamie's mother, is played by Whoopi Goldberg. What? And yeah, and I did not catch that at all. So I don't know if that was down to like the acting or the makeup department, but I had no idea that that was Whoopi Goldberg. That was a um, casting I did not expect. Okay, back to storyline. Emmett Till goes to see like extended family that lives in Mississippi in 1955. Spoiler alert: South in 1955 really doesn't like black people. It's it's one of those things where. It gets talked about in schools and everything like that, or at least it hopefully still is, when it, depending on when you're listening to this. But it cannot be overstated how completely different of a world the South was, the Southern U.S. was, compared to the rest of the country if you were African-American. It's, like, not even comparable. Because Emmett Till, like, you know, lived in Chicago. Now, something to keep in mind is that the rest of the country, like the North and all that, was still racist. Racism wasn't dead in like the northern portions of the country, but it was nowhere to the extent of what was around in the south. There was like, sundown towns where if you were black after and you were around after sunset, you probably would never be seen again. Basically different laws and ways of living depending on if you're black or not. Emmett Till living in Chicago and having relative freedom in his life, you know, wasn't really privy to this. And he was going down to see family for the first time in forever because he had never been to Mississippi. His mom reiterated to him multiple times, like, hey, it's a completely different world down there. You need to act a certain way. You need to keep things proper. If you so much as accidentally bump into a white person, you need to basically, like, kind of get on your knees and apologize as if your life depended on it. Because depending on who it is you ran into, your life could very much depend on it. Such was the way of being black in the South in 1955. Unfortunately... And this is kind of where things get really weird when it comes to the actual historical events of Emmett Till and what led to his untimely demise. Allegedly, at some point, he goes into, like, a shop in a a small town called Money, Mississippi. has a mostly black population, but a very small one. And the shopkeeper is a white woman by the name of Carolyn Bryant, who is a piece of shit. (laughs) to say the absolute least you know i hate to talk ill of people who are still living that i've never met but she's a piece of shit so allegedly what happened is that emmett till commented on her look saying you know how beautiful she was and she looked like a movie star and as he was leaving with his family he like wolf whistled at her and the thing about this is 
It's a 14-year-old boy. Teenagers do stupid shit. However, the townsfolk did not take that very well. So later in the night, the men of Carol Bryant's family, which who are their names? I shouldn't be blanking on this because these are also two other like major pieces of shit. <laughs> but they basically come to his family's house in the middle of the night, abduct him, beat him mercilessly, just do the most god-awful, like straight up torture him in ways that I probably shouldn't describe on the air so that YouTube doesn't get mad at us, and shoots him in the head. He's found a few days later in the Mississippi River with a cinder block tied to his to his um, legs at this point, and the pictures of his body are absolutely not fun to look at, but his body is all puffed up from being in the water. His face and head are completely disfigured, like barely recognizable. Oh, God. Yeah. it's. I just looked it up. Yeah, it's bad. It's real bad. And what the fuck? And there's actually a scene in the movie where Mamie goes to the coroner's office to see Emmett's body. And it actually shows how they did Emmett's body for the movie. And the thing is, keep in mind, this movie's rated PG-13. When it's shown how his body is in the movie, I hear people all around me just gasping in like disbelief. And internally I'm going, it's like, oh no, they prettied this up. <laughs> Like, this isn't even close to how fucked up his body was. Not even by a country mile. So, hats off to the prop, to like makeup or whoever, like, put together what Emmett's body looked like. Now, at this point, afterwards, Mamie Till recognizing that it's 1955, no one gives a shit about black people, and having an understanding about how. In America at this point, it doesn't matter where you come from. You're all seen as one of the same. You have a particular skin color. She just goes into fucking gangster mode. Because nice. she, like, you know, reporters are called to, like, the coroner's office and all that. And she brings in reporters and photographers to take pictures of her and her fiancé at the time with Emmett Till's body. And when it comes time for his funeral, everyone's telling her, it's like, he's so disfigured. You can't have an open casket funeral. She's like, no, it is going to be an open casket funeral. The world needs to see what these people did to my boy. And it makes waves across the country. Like, not even across the country, across the world. It was one of the major turning points in showing just how fucked up racism was in America. And it was, it was like one of the major like catalysts to getting the civil rights movement, the wheels of that turning in the United States. So that's kind of the basic idea of what happens. If you're familiar with the historical events of, of the actual like events, you know how the movie goes as far as like, you know, plot and everything like that. Because surpri surprise, surprise, you know, the guys who killed Emmett Till and later publicly admitted that they killed Emmett Till are acquitted of the murder. And they un uh, admitted it on a public interview, but double jeopardy, they can't be tried for it again. Yeah, that was very long, and I'm very sorry about that, but there's just so much that goes into this, because it really is. It's getting a lot of traction now. I think one of the things that did it is that even though I'm really not fond of him for recent events, Dave Chappelle actually did a whole bit talking to a guy. There was, like, in one of his comedy bits, he talked to a guy who had just come to the U.S. from Iran and told him the story of Emmett Till. And that's kind of what really brought attention back to, like, that whole event. People are great in this movie. Danielle Deadweiler 
I hope I'm not getting her last name wrong, actually kills it as Mamie Till. Her performance during the movie is great. There's a whole courtroom scene where they're questioning like if she's 100% sure if the body is actually her son's. And she describes, you know, how she knows it's her son's body. And the way she does that, she has her eyes closed and just like, you know, describes like the features of his body and everything. But while her eyes are closed, she is still very visibly in emotional distress. And the way she portrays herself is just legendary. There's a whole bit where she's like telling the jury about Emmett. But you see like one of her eyes, like, like one of her eyelids just twitching like crazy. You can kind of see like a little bit of her eye under it. And it's one of those things where it's like, it's a bit uncomfortable, but it really just conveys the emotional battle this woman is raging with herself right now to kind of keep it all together. So she absolutely kills it. Really, everyone who's in this movie is fantastic. Not a single bad actor, including Haley Bennett as Carolyn Bryant, who <laughs> is very much one of those things where it's like, as important as this is, I kind of... When it comes to people who have to play actually racist pieces of shit or, like, the most deplorable human beings in existence, part of me can't help but feel bad. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely. It's like, I'm sure you're not like this, but I don't know if it's, like, just... Has God, to... I hate you. Yeah, but it's like, holy fuck, I hate you. Or more specifically, I hate the person that you portray you're portraying. If I did have to give this movie a knock for anything, the pacing was a little weird in a couple spots. And there were a couple scenes where... I felt like the movie was trying to do, like, a thing, but the way it all played out, it didn't really, like, communicate it very well. The key portion of it, and this is kind of a spoiler. I mean, okay, I guess it is a pretty significant spoiler, considering, like, what it leads into. But later on, Mamie Till finds out that her cousin, the gentleman who was, like, watching Emmett during his stay in Mississippi, Mississippi had a shotgun in his barn. But he didn't use it to defend Emmett when the two like white men with guns came to his house and she confronts him about it. And she said and when she grills him, he says it's like, no, the reason I didn't use basically says the reason I didn't use my shotgun is because it wasn't just two white dudes with pistols at my door. It was them, their neighbors, the town, the county, the sheriff's department, the politicians. It's all these people. All of those people were at my door pointing guns at me and my family. And at that moment, he had to make the very unfortunate choice of defending Emmett and more than likely destroying his family and having them all killed or giving Emmett up for him to be murdered. And the thing about it is that Mamie goes under completely understandable emotional distress hearing this, but still goes, it's like, so you, so you sacrificed my son to give up, to, like, protect yours? And, I, and I'm just sitting there like, yes. Yeah. Yeah, he did. <laughs> like, yeah. and that's just how fucked the situation was back then. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, I completely understand why he did what he did. It's not okay. And he, he even says, it's like, you know, I'm not trying to blame Emmett or anything. That's just how things work down here. And this is important because it actually leads into the next scene where his cut... Mamie's cousin is actually testifying against the guys who murdered Emmett next scene after. So I think what the movie was trying to do there was that they were trying to kind of like show this as being one of the catalysts. Because after the trial, Mamie Till actually becomes a major figure in the civil rights movement. 
like telling her story, like traveling across the country, all that. I feel like what the movie was trying to do was show how this and this conversation, everything was one of the catalysts that got her to like decide to like continue working for like civil rights in America. Unfortunately, the way that the movie kind of portrays her in this while completely understandable emotional distress is kind of a little bit of a bitch. And just like, no, I'm pretty sure that's not what they're trying to do, but it's not communicated very well here. Oh, God, what else? Because there was also, I know there was another thing in the movie that kind of, like, bugged me a little bit. Um, I don't know, I can't remember it, so it's probably not that important, all things considered. So I'm just going to pass over it. If it comes up later, oh, well, too late. The long and short of it is go see this movie. It's an extremely important movie talking about a subject that does in an event that absolutely does not get the attention it deserves. Like, unfortunately, if I may get a little bit meta and mildly political, unfortunately, at this time, we are battling. A, we are in a battle where people are advocating against teaching actual historical events because it makes them uncomfortable. Or at very least makes them aware of how racist as fuck this country has been historically. But the thing about that is that we need to have these lessons and these conversations so we know why this is wrong. And so that we know not to repeat it. So to a certain extent it, also, it almost makes you wonder with how important that is why these people are trying to fight against that. But that's a conversation for a different day. Go see the movie. Go, like regardless who you are, absolutely go see the movie. If you walk away from the movie and you're pissed off, then I all I have to say is, congratulations, you are not a terrible human being. <laughs> neat. And Obviously, by neat, I mean terrible. But yeah, yeah, the breakdown is very much appreciated. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Cause, like, I talked to my mom about it afterwards because, like, you know, for o- very obvious reasons, especially with my mom growing up during all of this, we have a shared interest in this portion of American history. And she, like, asked me, it's like, did you enjoy it? I'm like, I don't know if enjoy is the right word. (laughs) That tracks. Yeah, it's like, I am very glad I went to see it, but I can't exactly say I enjoyed my experience. (laughs) No, that's fair. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Go see the movie. It's it's a it's a good movie. I hopefully it's something that'll still be talked about for ages to come. Just so it like, you know, things like this are seen for the absolutely horrible atrocities that they are. Hopefully. And and that's it to kind of and that kind of figures it. Uh, cha cha cha. <laughs> that's I don't know. an ending. It's it's kind of like a like kind of to cheer up a like really like kind of depressing and somber conversation. <laughs> I appreciate the attempt. Mm. In any case, I guess that wraps up this episode of Under the Bridge. What comes out this week? Uh, oh, a very indie movie. You've probably never heard of it. It's a follow-up to another likewise niche project. It's a little something called Black Panther Wakanda Forever. <laughs> man, like, Marvel's just killing you with those indie movies lately, man. <laughs> right? Oh, man, who would have thought? Mm. <laughs> In any case, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe. Follow on Spotify, RSS, follow the Facebook page, what have you. Make sure to take advantage of any of those opportunities I gave to leave comments. Yes, and if you've backtracked on something, please indeed 
call us on our bullshit. It'll only help yeah. us in the long run. Exactly. But since that wraps up for tonight, I'm Cody, a.k.a. the Scarlet Troll. And I am Greg, a.k.a. Greg. And we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.